Well, good morning, and welcome to you, both those who are gathered here in this place and those who might be listening from a distance. Will you please stand with me and join me in the call to worship? God makes the sun to rise and set. He causes the summer and winter to come and go. He is God helps plants to grow and flowers bloom. He gives us food to eat and places to live, people to love us. He is faithful. God is always with us, always guiding us, keeping his promises to us. Let us praise our faithful God. Father, sanctify this sanctuary. Make it a place of worship for us. We claim it this morning as a beachhead for your kingdom. And we submit ourselves to you as our sovereign Lord. We thank you that we are not alone. Bless also those who met in this place earlier this morning and those worshiping you this day both in nearby towns and around the world. Amen. Please stand. Uh, Remain standing for hymn number nine.
Amen. It's great to see you as we gather for worship today. Take a moment and share a word of peace, a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Hard to imagine, but next Sunday is the beginning of Advent, and we will uh, be celebrating uh, that uh, historic time in the life of the church, reading the prophecies and lighting the Advent candles and the readings, and we hope that you're able to be a part of that. With this Thanksgiving holiday this week, there are many ministries of the church that are not operating, so just be aware of that, and I think probably because of the holiday weekend next Sunday, uh, we're looking for some folks who might be able to help with Children's Church at the 820 and 11 o'clock services. If you would be available to help with that ministry uh, that takes place during these services, uh, you can just contact the church office or contact Emily Hoffman and she will get you connected uh, to that ministry. Tonight at 5 o'clock is the end of our prayer vigil for the three weeks we've been praying and we've had hundreds of hours of of prayers uh, during that time, and we bring those to a climax tonight at 5. We'll be meeting here in the sanctuary. I hope you'll join us as we pray together, sing, share what God has uh, done in our lives, and uh, just celebrate uh, the, uh, this great uh, three weeks of prayer together. Uh, there are a number of prayer concerns in your bulletin, and I also want to add to this uh, two others. I want to pray for the families of uh, Vernell Shannon and Ted Hopkins, both of whom died yesterday morning. And uh, we want to, of course, know the families who appreciate our prayers. And their services, uh, their arrangements will be next weekend, both uh, visitations on Friday and the services on Saturday. Vernell's visitation will be 2 to 4 and 7 to 9 at the Copeland Williams Funeral Home in Fillmore. And uh, Vernell's service will be here at the church uh, Saturday morning at 11. Uh, Ted Hopkins' visitation will be Friday from 2 to 4 and 6 to 8. And that will be here in the church sanctuary. And uh, Ted's service will be Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock here at the church. So uh, please keep these families in your prayers as we go through this week, especially this holiday time. And ask for God's grace upon them as we also remember the other needs and concerns that are a part of our lives. Our choir anthem this morning is a triumphant arrangement of our well-loved hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, that Mark Hayes has arranged. And for the final stanza, I will turn and invite you all to stand with us and to sing.
Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 25 through 31. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the word of the Lord. Will you stand with me as we sing the Gloria Patre? Forgive us when we underestimate your blessings. Take our tithes and bless them, and bless the ministry of all those who are supported by our giving, even these who minister to us this morning. Amen. You may be seated.
It's in the spirit of God's peace that we have freedom to come and confess our sins and to know that he forgives us. So in that spirit, join with me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let's pray together. O God, giver of all that makes life good, we gather to give you our thanks, even as we confess that we have often failed to live our thankfulness. We have a tendency to take for granted what we have. We have a tendency to grumble about what we lack. We have squandered your bounty with little thought of those who will come after us. We are more troubled by the few who have more than by the many who have less. Forgive us, O God. In this hour of worship, accept our thanksgiving. Teach us to make gratitude and sharing our way of life. And open our ears that we may hear your words of assurance and pardon. That though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we continue in our spirit of prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as the place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me. Father, thank you for your abundant blessings. Give us hearts to appreciate them and to celebrate them. Father, as we gather this morning, we not only desire to confess our sin and to offer words of thanksgiving, but also to offer words of intercession. We think of this world and so much that is going on in our world right now and our hearts are grieving. We're victims of terrorist attacks, kidnappings. We, we grieve for those who are still trying to recover from natural disasters, for the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are refugees just looking for a place to call home. And we ask for your grace in these situations of turmoil and chaos and fear and anxiety. Help your church to be a presence of peace and rescue and hope. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your church and your people through the ages, and we think especially now of the ministry of John and Pat Shea, and we thank you for all that you've accomplished in them and through them. In their more than 50 years of service, and as they transition, we pray that you will continue to bless their lives. We remember our brothers and sisters who do not have the freedom that we do. This morning, our hearts are turned to Harai, Ethiopia, as Christians are being sent to jail, even though they are innocent. They are facing injustice of all kinds. And as the enemy attempts to drive them out, give them courage and wisdom and hearts of love and compassion 
that those who are persecuting them might see you in a new light and even open their hearts to you. Father, we pray for the needs closer to home. We thank you for the ministry of Friends in Christ United Methodist Church in Fillmore. You have blessed them through the years and they've had a great presence in Fillmore. We pray that this will continue. Anoint their pastor and their people as they reach out to Fillmore and beyond. I pray that your blessing would rest upon them and that they would sense that in a very special way, even today. Father, we pray for the ministries of our church. We think especially of our youth ministry. Thank you for Pastor John and all the people who help him and for every student who's a part of the ministry. May they sense your blessing as they come together at various times and as they, as they move forward in their walk with you. And at this very pivotal time of life, may the ministry of the church be a catalyst for wanting to follow you wholeheartedly. Father, we... Pray for those among us who are struggling with pain. Think of all who are grieving. and We particularly pray for the families of Rennell Shannon and Ted Hopkins. Help them each to know your comforting presence, your grace and mercy upon them. Bring healing to their grieving hearts. We pray, Father, for others who are in need particularly of health concerns. We think of Calvin and Laurel Buecher and Warren Woolsey. We pray for Bill Getty and Phil Muecher and Evelyn Heil and Alice Brown. We pray for Mike Raybuck, Jill Tyson, Chris Brenneman and Bev Rett, for Micah Christensen and Linda Roth and Dick Gould, and for Crystal Blake and Emily Cricklar, and for others who may be on our hearts today. Send your healing grace in each of them. Father, as we come to the end of our prayer vigil, may our time of of intense prayer be pleasing to you and be transformative for us. And as we move into this holiday weekend, fill our hearts with gratitude. For you are good and merciful compassionate and we worship you Father we offer this prayer all of our prayers in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray which we now pray together our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As our pastor continues to lead us in thinking about the church... We take our New Testament reading again this morning from the book of Acts, chapter 28, beginning at verse 31. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, 
Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say... You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. The children may be dismissed uh, for Children's Church at this time.
You ever wonder why some things are in the Bible and some things are not? You know, why we know the names of some people and we don't know the names of other people? There are a lot of things about the Scripture that if you, if you stop and you, you ponder it, you, it may raise questions about why that and not this and why this and not that. That's sort of what was going through my mind as I came to the end of the book of Acts. You would expect, I, at least I, would, I was expecting, when you get to the end of this grand story of the church, as you come to the end of this and it's going to be a crescendo and, and you get to the end of it, and it's, it's big and bold and powerful. N.T. Wright says that, you know, when you get to the end of this, you expect symbols and brass and timpani. And in this glorious celebration, as the book comes to an end, but instead, what you get sounds more like the haunting melody that Debbie just played. When you come to the end of this book, instead of this glorious climax of power, it just sort of hangs there. It just just sort of sits there. There are all kinds of questions. What happens to Paul? What happens to Peter? What happens to Apollos? What happens to Aquila and Priscilla and all the other people we hear about in this book? And we don't get anything. It's as if you were, you were walking along and all of a sudden the whole thing just dropped off the edge. It's just done. I don't think it's a coincidence that that happens. I think there is something in ending the book that way that speaks to us about life and about faith and about the church. Because what we would like is that the book would be closed Wrapped, bow on top, finished. And what we get is open-endedness. I'm coming to see as as I get older that God loves open-endedness. God loves mystery. I was reading something the other day and someone said that when they were thinking about prayer. And they said most of the time what they want from prayer is that it's like the period at the end of a sentence. It's done. We ask for it, it's finished. But he said, most of the time, my prayers feel like they don't end in a period, but they end in an ellipsis. You know, dot, dot, dot. And when you get to the end of it, it just sort of hangs there. It just keeps going. You don't know exactly where it's going to end or what direction it's going to go or who's going to be involved in it. And God seems to love that type of interaction with us. And I suspect it's because... When we, when we feel that there's closure, when we feel that we finished it, there is a tendency in our human nature to say, okay, God, I'm good with that one, and I'm done. I think I can handle it now. But when there's open-endedness, when life feels like an ellipsis, there is a much greater need to say, Lord, I cannot do this without you. And the difference is cutting ourselves off from the source of life and joy and peace and all that we deeply desire versus trusting God and walking with him and finding everything we desire. And the real message of the book of Acts as it ends is not the thriving of the church is done. It's really that the church is now just beginning to unfold its story.
And I think one of the reasons that Luke leaves this open-ended is because the church doesn't stop when Paul dies. The church isn't finished when Peter dies. The church, the church, we know the church thrives when we see it going on from generation to generation to generation to generation, all the way down to you and me and our generation, and hopefully the generations that follow us. In many ways, that's what it looks like when the church is thriving. And to get to that point, we, we embrace the fact that we live in a world that's fallen and broken and gives us a million reasons to be cynical and despairing. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of everything that's going on in the world right now, the things that have and will take place that discourage us and disappoint us, In the midst of all of that, we have decided that we are going to bank our existence on the hope of Jesus. And when the church does that, the church thrives. When the church says, it's not about all these other things that are happening as if that reflects the reality of what is what is really most important and what is really the center of what's happening, we realize that all those things are true and all that stuff is happening, but somehow we have come to see Jesus in the middle of it. The hope of Christ. The world often looks like a photographic negative if you take a biblical perspective. Everything is turned around. All the ways in which, in which people say this is how you get ahead, this is success, this is, this is joy, this is happiness, this is what life is about. All of those things, which seem to work pretty well for a lot of people in the world, when you look at them from a biblical perspective, are the exact opposite. But when your hope is in Christ, there is a new perspective on all the stuff that's going on. It doesn't just eliminate it. It doesn't deny it. It just gives us the ability to see Christ in the middle of it. And to see Christ working and that those things are not the end. When you get to the, when you go back, all the way back to the beginning of the book of Acts. In chapter 1, Jesus is talking with the disciples and all of a sudden he starts going up into the sky. What would that have been a thing to witness, right? And they're just standing there, mouths agape, wondering what in the world is happening. And an angel comes to them and says, why are you guys standing here looking up at the sky? The same Jesus who just went up is coming back. And the rest of your lives and the rest of all of those whose lives you touch and lives they touch, live in that hope that Christ who is dead is risen and Christ who has ascended will descend. That's our hope. And that changes everything. It allows us to see the world with new eyes. Paul gets to the end of this. and He's talking with the, with the Jewish leaders. And, and he says to them, you've rejected the truth. And because of that, your eyes are blind and your ears can't hear. And you're missing everything. But when we engage the spirit, we see it. We hear it. We get it. And what does that look like? I think maybe it looks like faithfulness. And it looks like generosity. And it looks like compassion. And it looks like faith. 
And it looks like being a place of refuge. And it looks like unity. And it looks like forgiveness. And celebrating other successes. And communicating in a gentle spirit. Because those are the characteristics of Jesus. Paul says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. And what is that mind? Servanthood. Humility. Death. It goes against the grain of everything we think of. We think the way to fight the despair and the hopelessness and the opposition to the church and Christians in the world is to fight back. And we want to, actually, probably what we want to do is escape. Right? I mean, we're saying, Lord, just get me out of here. How long? How, how, just, I want to be released from all of this. I want to be set free from all of this bad stuff. And that's the most natural thing in the world. But Jesus says to his disciples in his high priestly prayer in John 17, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. I'm asking you to help them to thrive while they are in the world through my spirit. But we miss that so often. And instead of living in a spirit of hope, we live in a spirit of fear and anxiety. And it's so easy to become cynical and to fight and use all the strategies the rest of the world is using. Because when we, so often the church says to thrive looks just like we measure that the same way McDonald's does and Macy's and State Farm Insurance and whatever else you want to think of. But the gospel tells us there are different ways to measure what it means for the church to thrive. But we get wrapped up in that and we fear. And I think, I suspect that fear is rooted in feelings of insecurity and inferiority. When you take your eyes off of Jesus, when you forget the hope that is ours in the returning Christ, you're left feeling very insecure and very inferior. And when you're inferior and insecure, you fight back and you, you operate out of a spirit of fear instead of a spirit of love and grace and compassion and servanthood. It's been a little over, well, it's been 15 and a half years or so ago that we decided we wanted to get a dog. And it was a series of circumstances with our boys that brought us to that point. And we decided we wanted a house dog. And so we wanted a small dog. And we were at a soccer game one day and saw a woman who had a little dog. And we thought, that's exactly what we want. And we found out where she got it. And, and so as we were exploring that, we went to our, our local vet, veterinarian and said, so we're thinking about it getting a small dog. What do you think? And he smiled. I can still see his face. And he said, well, you got to understand, small dogs have an inferiority complex. And he said, you know, so they're always trying to prove themselves. And they're much more apt to bite you. They're much more apt to bark all the time. They're much more apt to be aggressive. Big dogs know they're tough. Little dogs have to prove they're tough. And, you know, and we've had our dog now for, he looks pretty sedate there, but that's unusual. But no, it isn't. But he, you know, we've had him for 15 and more than 15 years, and the vet was right. Uh, He spends a lot of his day up on the arm of the couch watching dogs go by and barking at them. And trying to tell them, I'm bigger than you. I'm better than you. Of course, you take him out in the yard, then he hides behind your leg when they come up. But, you know, and, and I think sometimes that's how we operate. We bark and fight because we feel insecure. We feel inferior. And it's because we've forgotten our hope is not in us. Our hope is not in the stuff. Our hope is in Jesus. He has conquered 
Christ who is dead is risen. Christ who has ascended to heaven is returning. And when he returns, all the mess of the fallen, broken world, he's going to put right. That's our hope. And that's what drives us. That's what me, that's why we can say that there is life even when we talk about death. And there is, there is joy even when we talk about sorrow. And there's peace even when we're feeling pain. Because of Christ. I think we, I think we, sh- we fall into bad traps of thinking. Because we aren't taking advantage of the ways in which God is helping us see him. And one of the most significant and profound ways to keep that hope before us is worship. When we come together for worship, it's not just, well, that's what we do on Sunday morning. The point of this, at least one of the points of coming together for worship, is to remind us of the truth and to keep the truth in front of us. Because we spend so much of our week being bombarded by things that are not the truth. We're bombarded by messages about this is what it means to be successful. This is what it means to be right. And this is how you respond to that. And many of them are not gospel thinking. And so we come together on Sunday to be reminded that our hope is in Christ, that the, that the Christ who is dead is risen and he's returning. We remember who Christ is and what Christ has done and what Christ has promised. And so we sing the songs and we read the scriptures and we hear the words and we pray the prayers. And we walk out hopefully energized about the truth. And as we come together in worship, one of the most significant things we do is to give thanks. There's something about giving thanks that cuts through cynicism and hopelessness and despair. And often when we're in that kind of mindset, we can't see a good thing anywhere. But when we give thanks, it has a tendency to melt that stuff. Paul, I think, talks about that in Philippians. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice, give thanks. And what fascinates me is that he didn't just say it, he practices it. Because in chapter 1, he says, I want you to know that it's a good thing. I'm giving thanks to God that I'm sitting here in this Roman prison in chains. Because what's happening with me is encouraging the church. And I get the added privilege of spending hours every day with these Roman guards. And I get to tell them about Jesus. And some of them are being changed. Then he gets to chapter 4 and he says, I want you to know whatever happens to me, I'm content. Contentment is what happens when you give thanks. And sometimes we need each other to, to sort of nudge us into thanksgiving because some, we forget. We get enamored with things. And, and it's why we come to this table. One, one, of the, one of the ways of describing this table through the centuries has been the word Eucharist. Give thanks. And the prayer, the great thanksgiving. It's, it's, an, it's a historic prayer that I, what I find so fascinating about it is it puts us into, into the historic settings. And, and the prayer says things like, we were slaves in Egypt and you rescued us. We stood on the banks of the Red Sea with our enemies at our backs and you parted the waters. We waited outside the land of Canaan, wondering how in the world we are ever going to defeat these giants 
and, and these walls. And you gave it to us. And we stood at the cross. And you forgave us. That's the kind of stuff we hear, we're reminded of when we come to worship. And I think we also thrive by what we do on our own. We need to keep ourselves in the scriptures because the scriptures keep us focused. And we need to have time and space in our lives for reading the scriptures and studying the scriptures and praying. That's why we keep doing these prayer vigils. Because it gives us an opportunity to set aside some specific time and often some extended time to pray, to be in God's presence, to listen, to talk, to engage with God, and to be reminded again of the truth of who he is and what he's done and what he's going to do. And we need that regularly because everything else in life is squeezing us. Even the good things are squeezing us. And when life squeezes us, we tend to forget the truth. We get wrapped up in all of the things I do, I suspect you do. It's in those moments that we need to be reminded from the scriptures and in prayer that God is bigger than all this stuff. That Jesus has won. And that someday... He is going to set everything right. And that's our hope. E. Stanley Jones, great missionary statesman of the 20th century, said that it's often when we think about all everything going on in the world, war, despair, terrorism, moral decay, opposition to the church, all these things. The tendency is for us to throw up our hands and say, oh my goodness, look what the world's coming to. I suspect you've done it. I've done it. I said, but what if in that moment, as we contemplate all of the stuff, what if in that moment, instead of saying, look what the world is coming to, instead we said, look what has come to the world. And look what is coming to the world. And to focus our attention on Jesus. Because when we focus our attention on Jesus, then we have resources and a desire and a passion to do something about all the stuff in the world. To be a presence of hope and joy and healing and refuge and compassion and forgiveness when our focus is on Him, when our hope is in Him. I'm convinced that's what it looks like for the church to thrive. And it's my prayer for you and for me and for us. Holy Father, thank you For your abundant grace. Thank you for the hope that is ours in Christ. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds, that we might see and hear 
and understand. Father, we pray that you'd pour out the abundance of your blessing upon the bread and the cup. As we eat and drink, may this be food for our souls. Fill us anew with the hope that is ours in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. For this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. As you're released by Rose this morning, you come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seats by the outside aisles. Altar rails always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have a tray of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. And if you would like those, just let me know as you come to the front. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. This might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire in your heart to live in the hope of Christ and to be a presence of that hope in this world, then come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
have so many reasons for which to give thanks, not the least of which is God's faithfulness. As we conclude the service today, I invite you to stand and uh, we're going to sing together the hymn that's uh, in the insert in your bulletin in thanksgiving. Let us praise him. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.